people say, why do you run? Because it hurts, it's difficult. Um, and originally you were running because you think, oh, well, if I do this and I'll break this and I'll do this and I'll get this strength. But actually, it's in facing the things that is really difficult, facing the fears. That's what I found out now that I've gained the most strength from and actually the most value. There's actually a lot of value with staying in the process. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode two of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. So excited to chat with the Marathon Marcus the morning after an absolutely epic New York City Marathon. New York City, take a bow. You keep raising the bar and can't imagine what's in store for the 50th anniversary race next year. Marcus is truly one of the good guys in the running community and embodies all that is good in our sport. Our chat covered a lot of ground. How he got started on his running journey from four-hour and 55-minute marathoner to knocking on the door of Sub 3 today. How Marcus has built a powerful, deeply engaged community and platform on social. We touched on his use of a performance coach, mental strategies, mantras, our man David Goggins, and we swapped some funny running stories. Recording across the street from Central Park presented some serious audio challenges. So a huge shout out to Dave from InPost Media for doing some great work pulling this together for us. I enjoyed our chat immensely and really hope you will too. So let's dive right in with the Marathon Marcus and hear his story together. Marathon Marcus. So honored to have you on episode two of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Welcome to a high view above Central Park West, where we both just ran the New York City Marathon yesterday. So excited to have you on here. It's amazing to uh, see Ron. We obviously know each other offline, so um, now to obviously chat and uh, put us down on film is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Obviously audio, sorry. That's (laughs) okay. We, we do have Rena in the room with us. Maybe she could film the entire thing and we'll, we'll put it on a YouTube channel as well. So this has been a, a long time coming, me yeah. and having the vision for this podcast. And uh, as we connected on Instagram and got to know each other, I've uh, definitely had my eye on having you sit down with me. And it's definitely something we talked about in London when we met for the first time at our shakeout. And then again in Berlin, but timing can be really tricky. Yeah. Um, you're a family guy, young family. Why don't we start there? Tell us a little about your family and what that's like for you and how it fits in with your running life. Uh, it's definitely challenging. Um, how do I fit it in? I, you try to fit a lot of things in with work, family, but the thing that I find with uh, running and family life is it's just about communication and making sure you don't, uh, make sure your, su- your family life suffers as a result of your training. So I try to make sure that I do my runs early in the morning. But obviously, still, you're still going to be tired after you come to work. So there's always some sort of um, trade-off there. And also, you don't, don't get like the perfect seven, eight hours of sleep, especially when you're young kids or if they're sick or whatever. So you're always kind of trying to spin the plates and sometimes they drop and they smash, but you, you're always trying to do the best that you can. But it's definitely not easy. It definitely adds a, a different challenge. Yeah, um, sure. And you have young children. How old? So I've got my daughter, and she's two years old, and uh, we've got uh, one on the way, so he's going to be due soon. Well, congratulations. Thank you. We can do a little cheers to that. By the way, we're having a beer here. It's, uh, it's after 12 o'clock, so we're okay. 
Um, well, that's exciting news. I'm sure uh, you and the missus are really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's good to have uh, another sibling, really, for, for my daughter. So um, hopefully they'll be uh, good friends as well, and they're going to be close in age, so they'll help each other out. Yeah, I think um, I had two brothers, so the three of us. I think it's wonderful when they're close together. Yeah. It's great anyway to have a sibling. Um, yeah. They're your friends for life. Sometimes at a young age, maybe not so much. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. they're foils and enemies and the fun fights that can ensue. But uh, one thing's for sure, they'll, they'll always have each other. Yeah, yeah. Now, did they come out to your races at all? Or are they out there watching you uh, when you're running London, let's say, when you're back home? Um, so, traditionally, my wife's come out to, to watch me race uh, previously, but no, it's like a marathon. You see at one point, and then you've gone, you've got to find somewhere else to, to meet. So, she's kind of done with that to a certain extent. Uh, my daughter, um, we've not brought out to any races just yet. Um, would like to, but it's just logistically, it's not always easy. Uh, I'd like to, and I've got respect for people that have done it. I mean, I was out here before the, the race, I remember seeing a couple of guys with like newborn, practically newborn kids, like six months or a couple of months old, and that's tough, you know, you, because you all think it's not, you've got to prepare for the race, but also it's not fair with family to some extent, so just to be like, let's sit inside, let's eat pasta and go to sleep at nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you do, so it's definitely not easy. It's very tricky. Um, we all, I, at least here in the States, Stephanie Bruce is incredibly popular with us in the running community with uh, Hoka Nazalit, and her husband uh, is also a terrific runner in his own right and qualified multiple times at uh, the elite level, national championships and whatnot. And you see them traveling around with the young family and her competing at that high level. It's just uh, a bow and respect. Yeah, but I, I don't want to make it seem too bad. I mean, it's not something that fits in your life. I mean, having kids and family it's a great way to keep you balanced uh, and to keep you give you perspective, especially when the results go well or they don't go so well. Um, and also, it's just a good lesson to teach my kids that you know what it's like as a runner. Most of the times, it's not. It doesn't look pretty. You know, you don't. You know, they're not whooping and high fiving all the time. There's going to be a lot of lows, and it's good to show my kids that um, you know if you stick at something and you know you keep trying, then there's you know there's a, a point. It's a good lesson there. It's not, you don't always get everything that you want straight away. Um, and also, you probably wouldn't want a life like that either. Because if everything came so easy, then there'd be no point. And uh, there's a beautiful struggle, I think. Well said. Um, I think one of the key things I want to get to in speaking with runners like yourself is just how it intersects with the rest of our life, our jobs. Um, how does it help us manage our day-to-day -day lives better? Uh, by setting goals and, and focusing on whatever your distance is. We happen to be um, people who enjoy the marathon and the six-star chase, the world marathon majors, all that. But if you could be a miler, you could be a 5K runner, you could be a trail runner, an ultra runner, whatever it is, the discipline required to get those workouts in with the young family to get up before dawn or to get up after, you have to find the time. And it's very easy in life to say, hmm, I'll get to it tomorrow. We're both fans of Goggins. Uh, and we just love his stuff. It's so raw and so authentic. And, you know, it always gets back to the guy in the mirror, right? When you look at yourself in the mirror, that's who you're racing. That's who you're competing against to be the best version of Marcus, to be the best version of Ron or whomever. And the, the, the lessons you're learning and the, the discipline and your, your, your attitude towards how you approach it all, they're wonderful lessons to impart and pass along to your children. Yeah, and it's, it's, it, people always ask, how do you get to here or how do you do this? But it's always like, 
it's not so straightforward. It's, it's, it's always the easiest things, but people kind of want it to be like a lot sexier type thing. It's just never, never the case. Like Goggins sort of says, you know, you just face the man in the mirror, just look at, look at the truth, you know. And that's what running is like. Really, it really exposes you to your truths, your fears, your worries, especially in the marathon, you know, um, or in training, especially when you're out alone and it's cold and it's windy. And you're like, can I do this? You know, you haven't got a crowd behind you. So I'm going off topic, but yeah, that's what it kind of reminded me a little bit of. Yeah, that, that's a bullseye. Yeah. Um, also a good place to um, kind of get into a little bit about one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Um, when I thought about getting this podcast off the ground, you know, what kind of conversations that I want to have with people. And Run Chats was born out of just being out there in Central Park, running with people before dawn, after work, you know, the things that happen to us in our lives. Somebody passes away, yeah. uh, someone loses a job someone gets separated or divorced, a business folds. There's just so many things that happen in our life that emotionally hit us hard. And sometimes the emotion hitting hard is something wonderful, somebody getting married, you having another baby. But running is a tremendous reliever of stress and also a stabilizer. But out there on those runs, I've found that my friends are the most authentic. They're the most raw, they're the most real, and they'll share the most meaningful details and we'll laugh our asses off or... You know, maybe even shed a tear or two because someone's just going through something really difficult. Yeah. And the support that we can give each other is, it's just really meaningful and helps us, you know, be better at everything, better parents, better partners, brothers, friends, whatever the case might be. And as I wanted to develop this platform, I think the most important thing for me is to have people on that are positive, that are having an impact, yeah. not only as runners, but in their lives. Yeah. And without a doubt, me, you know, getting to know you through Instagram, your feed and your page and the following that you built is one of incredible positivity. And so I wanted to compliment you on that first and really just pick your brain a little bit about how did it start really on the blogging side first? Like where did, where did it all start for you in that, in that part of the journey? Um, so I started my Instagram because I wanted to be a bit more accountable with my running. Um, I kind of fell out of love with it for a while. Um, and then I thought if I just post every day, um, and I can sort of engage and tell people what my highs and lows are, then uh, see what happens. I never really thought of it in terms of, I'm going to try and get this or that from it. It's just more about trying to share my story. And sometimes it's really surreal, even now, when people come up to me and go, oh, no, this, you've done this and it inspires me. Because in my head, I'm just thinking, I'm just doing my own thing type thing. But you don't, you don't realise the impact that you're having. Um, so... I just try and be as authentic as I can and it just kind of snowballed from there and I got some great opportunities to work with brands and things like that but that was never the primary goal, it was always the running and I've been able to meet amazing people like yourself and other great athletes, everyday athletes and some pro athletes and you actually find actually there's not a lot that separates people whereas before you're thinking oh they must be doing something so special but they're just Obviously, they're really talented, but they just work really hard. They're disciplined, and it's stuff that we could all do. And we talk about your kids and things like that. It's what we find the time before having kids. You think, how could I fit it all in? But you just find when once you're in that situation, you find a way. If there's no other option, you just find a way. So um, yeah, so I basically started from just trying to be account- accountable to myself, and it's just kind of snowballed into this kind of thing that's where we are now. But I still try and keep to that sort of ethos where I try to be um, real and authentic as much as possible um, but then there's like a balance between certain things so 
uh, one recent challenge I had this year was a, was a serious health concern, um, and my training really suffered because uh, mentally I just wasn't in the right place to hit the workouts. And sometimes um, running can help you, you know, if you're struggling for something, you know, can you have that fire in your belly? But sometimes when it's just taken out of you mentally, you just can't get this sort of the fire in your belly to go out and do the runs. And before Berlin, I had a period of uh, time where my training really suffered um, because I just wasn't in the, the right headspace. I was just really just trying to get everything done. And once I came out of that, my, it's, it's crazy because my coach was like, your, your training's dropped. And then after that, my training just went back up to kind of regular, what it should have been. Um, so, and I try to talk about that as much as possible. I try and show the, the highs and lows and, um, but not in a woe is me type way, but just to try and be proactive and just sort of show how, this is, this is real life. You know, if you're going for a goal, it's not always going to be sort of sunshine and rainbows, you know. Um, so I've kind of got, I've got off on the tangent, but that's basically, yeah, uh, that's, that's how running is, you know, for sure. We encourage tangents on the show. The host tends to talk a lot too, so you're you're able to go as long as you like, Marcus. This is, a, this is an English thing as well. We we do this thing where we apologize. There's no real reason to apologize. <laughs> I say I'm sorry, but nothing I've done nothing. To us. Sorry, not so, sorry. Yeah, sorry. One sorry. of my favorite exactly. hashtags. Exactly. I think I'm going to bring that in now. Yeah. So I want to come back on a couple of the points you just made there. Um, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. People have these beautifully varnished views of their lives. They take these magic pictures and they're in the best outfits or eating at the fanciest restaurant. And those are fun. I mean, there are a lot of people out there will follow pages like that to just read about wine blogs or food or X, Y, Z. But I think what I found most interesting to you before we met um, was just how authentic, you know, your posts were every day. They were real. They were from the heart. And what I found most interesting is a lot of people will do a post and they may have a lot of followers, but for the most part, somebody writes about a race report or XYZ product they might be testing out and maybe 10, 15 comments might filter through and it dies on the vine and we go on to the next post, we write our next post and we all engage with whatever it is we choose to. What I definitely noticed about you is just incredible consistency, um, strong you know, dialogue back and forth, and that's rare. Um, the people that are writing the post, a lot of times they want to get their own message out and that's wonderful. It's their, it's their opportunity to do that. But what I find rare in your posts is how engaged people get sometimes 20, 30, uh, replies back and forth. And I admire that a lot because it shows me that you really want to help that person. You're actually interested. You're not ready to get onto your next post. You're not ready to deal with everything else. Sure. You still got to do the dad duties and work and life and the runs, but you really actually care. And I guarantee you that's one of the reasons why you built such a strong following. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I feel, not sure guilty is the right word, but I feel honored when someone takes time to send me a message so I feel guilty if I don't respond back. It's not, not always possible to do it in the timeless fashion because of work or whatever, but that's the, the biggest thing. I think just reach out, out to people, respond, just try and be engaging, uh, not just in my sort of life, but in their life, just find out a bit about them. So um, the people I've met and the conversations that we have would, uh, you know, kind of blow my mind really. So it's something that I'd never really sort of pictured before because um, me off Instagram and me in real life is, I'd say I'm a confident introvert. 
if I'm in a party, I'm not going to be like, hey, <laughs> but I mean, I'll, I could talk to people and I'll be fine. Whereas on Instagram, like my wife says, like, you're completely different because you're just small. Okay, but I, I generally do care about people, but I think it's just the way you, you, you can sort of uh, communicate it. So I sort of feel people have taken time to respond to me and I want to share my, my truth of my experience of running. So it's important to find out about other people and hopefully um, not tell them what to do, but just sometimes just listen and um, just sort of show that we're all on this journey and there's nothing special about any of us really. We're just all trying to do the best that we can. Yeah, I think the, that's the big value that you bring. Um, not just as a friend um, and as a person, um, that we're sharing similar goals, having both achieved a six-star finish. So we're goal-oriented guys. We have time goals. We want to perform at our best. And again, in the Goggins fashion, our best, your best, my best, whoever's listening to this podcast, you don't get caught up in that game. Because whoever you're going to compare yourself to in life, comparison is a thief of joy. It's the truth. You're never going to win in that game. But if you focus on what you're really interested in, what you really want to achieve in life, it doesn't matter whether it's running, it doesn't matter what time it is. Maybe it's that I'm going to get out the door three days a week and I'm going to live to that and I'm going to own that. You talked about doing one post a day because you felt it would keep your running honest and you wanted to start this journey. That's what it's about. Write it on your refrigerator, put it on your wall, own the commitment and your habits change. And when your habits change, we get healthier. Yeah. Not just physically, but mentally. Yeah. And I, I really feel like your authenticity with your people that are on your page, yeah. that are part of your community, they're there because of that authenticity. That's also why brands want to interact with you and be involved. And yeah. we were just having a little sidebar before we came on with Rena, And it's just interesting that and I find this to be true. I could walk into the Stride booth and, you know, they're Caltech engineers and MIT engineers and many of them incredible athletes, Olympic trials, qualifiers, Ironman athletes. Yeah. And they're there with this incredible product and they know everything about it from a statistics and a specification system. But if you walk into a booth or I walk into a booth because people trust us, because yeah. that's really the single most important currency in life. I trust Marcus, I trust Ron. If I say to somebody that's in my group, you can't go wrong with Morton and here's the reasons why, yeah. they're gonna 100% give it a try. Yeah. Whereas Morton's advertising, yeah, nothing's wrong with their advertising. It's kind of hard to beat when Kipchoge's using your product and every elite athlete in the world's using your product. Yeah. But it is different when somebody knows you personally from experience and says, hey, give it a try. Uh, one of the things I like to do, I'll send stuff to my friends. I'll be like, hey, here's, here's a packet of 320, here's a gel. Um, yes. you know, we obviously all get codes for things um, because of our influencer reach. And that's wonderful because you can share that with the people that follow you that are part of your community. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about that trust. Yes. And that's why people, they want to engage. They believe what you're saying. They know it's authentic and it's real. So they're like, hey, when I got stuck at this plateau, I don't know what to do. Do you have any experience in this? And you can give them some guidance. Yeah. It's funny because I've never really sort of seen myself in that way. But um, when people have got questions and I feel I can help them or I don't know the answers, I can put them in the right direction. Because I genuinely care and just love running. Um, and it's just fun to sort of see people on their journeys and 
and uh, talk about when they've got questions about what I've done, I just try to share as much as possible. It's not always easy to sort of spread yourself as thin as possible, but I, I always try and give people the best answer that I can give them without kind of, because I, I sort of think how I feel if I was on the other side. So if I was if I was like, you know, had zero followers or one follower and I was asking me as equivalent of side, how would I like to be spoken to? I was trying to think of how would I like to so I think that definitely helps in terms of having a bit of respect. Yeah, again, that goes back to empathy, right? Being a good human. Yeah. And uh, this, this platform, this is, this is exactly what I want. People yeah. like yourself coming on who are having a good impact in the community. You could run 214. You could run 414. Yeah. You could run 614. That doesn't mean that you won't have value to the people that are going to listen to this show. Yeah. Because Kelly, my first guest, um, who I'll owe a huge debt of gratitude forever, you know, shared her deeply personal story of getting pneumonia and developing empyema in the hospital, which is a very bad bacterial infection, and just going through an enormous struggle and being in the hospital nine days. And she kind of said, like, no one's really going to care about my story. Nobody's going to want to hear it. And I was like, no, no, this is so powerful. And to come back six months after that hospital stay, and to run a marathon, you know, when the doctors are like, you lost 30% of your lung elasticity, I'm not so sure this is a good idea. Yeah. But in that Goggins fashion that we both admire, and so does Kelly, so the three of us share that, if you are willing to challenge yourself at that level and just push really hard and just say, I'm not going to change who I am, running is a huge part of who I am, I need this in my life. Yeah. She rolled the dice, she went out there to Chicago, she runs a 14 minute, BQ, you know, six months to the day after that. So we can all inspire each other. And I think you recognize that. It's not, you have this mission right now, and we'll dive into that a little bit about what your goals are. Yeah. And I love the fact that you'll put them out there and share it. Yeah. I'm completely fine with people who are listening to this who don't want to share it. Yeah, We're all wired differently. Yeah. Um, some people, when they own a goal, I want to make the Olympics team. It puts too much pressure on them. They don't perform well. It yeah. works against them and is not helping them. It actually could be debilitating and add stress, and all of a sudden their performance degrades. Others yeah. want to put it on their mirror, like Goggins or the refrigerator everywhere. They want to tell everybody, I want to make the Olympic team. And that's hard to put yourself out there in that way, because some people are immediately going to say, well, Marcus said that, oh, he's not all that, or Ron saying this. Um, so I think I respect people who are willing to put it out there. Yeah. I certainly respect people who aren't. Yeah, but exactly. it's, just, it's just wonderful to me. You know, that's what your kind of blog started about. You know, where you were in the beginning, you were, am I four hours, four plus hours yeah, as a marathoner? So first marathon was uh, about four 15 and I didn't really know what I was doing um, and something subsequently. How long ago to give people a sense of time? Uh, 2008 was my first marathon um, and then I did a couple more. Um, I did London and Berlin. London was my slowest time 2010 um, for 4.55 and then I was trying to break four in Berlin and I remember the four hour pace of passing me towards the end and that just broke me and I think I did that four oh four and honestly I didn't run for several years because I just and this is what running has taught me because people say why do you run because it hurts it's difficult um, and originally you were running because you think oh if I do this and I'll break this and I'll do this and I'll get this strength but actually 
it's in facing the things that is really difficult, facing the fears. That's what I've found out now that I've gained the most strength from and actually the most value. Um, uh, and it's just been, so that's why I have a lot of empathy for people because I know what it's like for people to say, oh, you're not a proper runner. I know it's like when you tell people your time, they're like, oh, that's rubbish. Uh, I ran it this time and I did a Boston qualifier. You know, to say you're a Boston qualifier is, is, a, is an amazing thing. But I remember the days when I was, it was such a far goal and people looking and think there's no way you can do it. But I had to keep believing. Um, go from the tender. But this is so many lessons I've learned from running and it's, it's been more from the things that I didn't think I'd, I'd have to. And that's the thing about running, it makes you face the really difficult things. And if you stick with it, you do get a lot of value from it, but it just takes a long time to kind of see it. And I'm still not saying I'm there, but I'm definitely in that process of being able to sort of see, oh, actually, there's actually a lot of value with staying in the process. Oh, all of that, incredibly well said. How did you initially get your start? What got you to put a pair of sneakers on, lace them up and get out the door and start the beginning of the running journey? So my first uh, experience of running was after university. My friend had uh, was working in Europe and he was uh, doing like half marathons and 10Ks with his, his firm. And he came back and he's like, oh, I've got this new thing we should do running. I was like, no, no dude, this is not happening. <laughs> I'm not running for anything. He's like, you should try it. I was like, no, no. So then he got me, he, he bet me that I couldn't do a 10K. And that's the worst thing really, the guys, it's like trying to, get it to his ego and he got me and he got a couple of races and initially I was like no I don't want to do this one I also had excuses then he found one at the time that I couldn't get out of in London at the time that I couldn't get out of so I was like okay fine and I remember training for it and training was awful I'd run from uh, like lamppost or streetlights you've got um, so a couple hundred yards and I remember like just feeling like I was going to die uh, and just sort of building that up building it up and training was really difficult and I was thinking if this training is like this what's the race going to be like and then I did the race and it just was really difficult but once I finished I felt such a uh, relief like a, such a degree of strength I didn't realise that I had and it was quite addicting and I was like okay where's the next race where's the next race uh, and that's probably good and bad because you're excited but then you're trying to rush things way too soon and that's the thing that people think, they go, well, if I do this program, then I'm gonna get this time in four months. You might not, you might literally plateau, you might dip for a while and then come through it with a massive breakthrough. Um, and that's what kind of drove my love of running. When I didn't really know what I was doing for the marathon to 2010, I was trying to rush things too much um, rather than let things marinate, take the time as they needed to. Um, so yeah, I started running through, through charts really. That's a great story. Um, we men have a way of getting under each other's skin that way. Yeah. You can't do this or do that. So that, that pulled you in. It was also your first experience with a runner's high. Yeah. Because it, it, at some point, you can read about it in a magazine, but you really don't know what it is until some point. For me, it was usually places like a beautiful beach somewhere or a mountain trail, yeah. somewhere where I wasn't in the city life, like you're in London or I'm here in New York by Central Park, where there's just so much around us, we can be overwhelmed. But sometimes in those moments, it isn't just how far we're running or how long when that kicks in. Sometimes it just, I don't know, we call it a flow state, whatever, where you're just going out there and you're just like, wow, yeah. like this is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think that's why I have this love for our sport that, you, that we share mutually yeah. and why I just wish I could 
bring some more people in. Yeah. And I think one of the things you touched on is um, letting things marinate and being patient. Yeah. There's just so many people who start to follow what's going on and they're on Facebook or they're on Instagram and they learn about the marathon or six stars or whatever it might be. And they're, it's compelling. It's exciting. Yeah. Wow. Look at this amazing medal. Look at these cool races in really great locations, yeah. Tokyo, Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago, New York. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to those places? Yeah. And by nature, it's travel, it's running, it's cultures, it's meeting really cool people like yourself and that I'm meeting around the world. It's got everything you would want to you know, get you focused on like a lifestyle, yeah. if you will. I think one of the things I try to counsel people on all the time is the marathon isn't for everybody. Yeah. You might be better suited to focus on the mile. Maybe you should be doing indoor or outdoor track. Maybe you'd be a better trail runner. Um, not really sure. Maybe triathlon is your thing. I just want people to get healthy. I want them to exercise. I want them to lace up like you did that first time and just say, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I don't care if you take your dog out on the trail. And like you talked about lampposts, yeah. a couple on, a couple off. I'm going to make it to the end of the stop sign. Yeah. One of my good friends, Greg Mackin, um, dear friend of mine, um, was having some challenges in life and yeah. um, just really had to you know, figure out what he was gonna do to try to get himself turned around yeah. with addiction and, and uh, alcohol and was at a tough point in his life. And I will always remember him talking to me about him literally going out of his house with like a hoodie sweatshirt on. I guess there's that yeah. some, some part, maybe a little bit of embarrassment, like, hey, what am I doing here? I'm gonna try this and I don't really know that I want other people watching or noticing, but. I'm just gonna go and see, can I make it from here to there? And I, I'm gonna have Greg on the show for sure. He's one of my good buddies, but I'll have to ask him. I can't remember how far he made it the first time. It wasn't very far, but the point is, even if it was only two blocks or three blocks, yeah. one of his friends saw him out the window and encouraged him. Yeah. And that's what we all need in life. We need encouragement. We need somebody to tell us we're on the right track. Yeah. And he was able to get to X number of stop signs and Y and start on this path of getting his life in order and going through recovery and becoming a great human being. So um, it's one of my good buddies and yeah. what you're talking about, we start somewhere, yeah. we're at X, yeah, exactly. there's Y, there's Z, and then we can go back around to the other end of the alphabet. Yeah. Be patient, you know, yeah, sure. don't compare yourself to everybody else in your whatever, the people you follow, Instagram, Facebook, I think one of the other big things to encourage people to do is join a running club. Yeah. Even just for the social connection piece, yeah. there's gonna be people in there that have a lot of experience. Yeah. There are gonna be people of many different levels and not everybody's gonna be as fast as you yeah. or Kipchoge or the man you know, next or woman next to them. There's gonna be people of all different levels. If you can find somebody that'll do those runs with you before you start your shift at the hospital or after work, and you get out of case you know, in court and you're a lawyer, yeah. if you can find somebody that you know is going to be there, it can be a game changer. Because you're, they're depending on you, right? To yeah. show up, and if I know Marcus is gonna be there for the run and the shakeout, you ought to be there. And if you're late, Karen Selby will bomb you, as you know. <laughs> Remember when we had the London shakeout and yes. I was the last one to show up? <laughs> that was fun. And that was actually our first time meeting. Yeah, but we'd spoken before, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was nice to actually uh, put a face and the voice to uh, the sort of the Instagram profile. Yes. And that's the good thing about Instagram, and 
as much as it might get some uh, flack, is you get to meet people, maybe you might not have sort of met socially um, within your circle, but you actually see people who are you know, still equally as driven, equally as determined, but just different walks of life. And again, you sort of see actually there's so many similarities. Um, and that's the amazing thing. So it's uh, been great to sort of meet yourself and other people. And that's why when people say to me, if I go to races across the world, they say, oh, you travel with your family, I know. But I never feel alone because I've met so many people, made so many friends. So there's always, so I mean, and I mean, literally, you'd have to stay in your room and just turn off your phone <laughs> to stay alone. To, uh, that's the thing. Yeah, that's, um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Because um, I do travel alone to almost all of my races. I have plenty of friends and uh, from running groups or, as you said, the community, the larger community that I know who's running Tokyo. We all, we're all on so many different Facebook running groups, XYZ. Yeah. We kind of know in advance who's going to be at Berlin, who's going to be at Chicago, yeah. who's going to be here. And I think that's one of the really super cool things. Like New York is my home. So when we're all here, you know, I'll host a run or when we come to London, maybe you can host it yeah. or Tokyo we're all somewhere unique and the culture is different and we all get to experience this amazing like running life, yeah. but we're running by the emperor's palace in Tokyo or we're running by Buckingham palace in London and big Ben. And here, and we look at us, we're looking out on central park where the race just came into Columbus circle yesterday. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And we're pretty lucky. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's the thing It sort of reminds me of, uh, on my current Instagram, I've been talking about trying to run sub three for a little while as a goal. And sometimes I think people can just sort of see that and take it to face level, like that's my only goal. Um, but when you sort of talk about, you know, being lucky and when I talked about my, my health concerns and I came back, that actually gave me a lot of strength because I thought, thought sometimes in the runs where you're feeling just really rubbish, you know, like, you know, I don't have to run, I, I'm able to run, I'm healthy. And then when you come here, and, you think, and rather than like being scared of the race, you're like, I get to run in New York, I get to see this. So rather than being scared about it, you're excited about it. But ultimately, the sub three goal I was talking about before was sometimes it gets misread as just that's my sole focus. It's not, it's more about that's like a sub goal. The main goal really is just to lead a healthy lifestyle and just enjoy my running and just to keep pushing myself. I mean, I've sort of tied a couple of things in there, but the time is important, but it's not the ultimate goal. And if that's if that's the ultimate goal, I mean, I wouldn't be wouldn't keep running. I wouldn't have sort of the joy and the passion to keep trying and, and doing these things because you need you need a lot of wise to kind of get out, especially when you've got kids and work and that kind of thing. Well, I think it speaks to the discipline again. Yeah. Um, like whatever whatever part of this journey you're on. Yeah. Now, right now, you started at four plus hours, yeah. and to think about cutting well over an hour off, it's remarkable. Yeah. But again, it's patience. The process takes quite a few cycles. Yeah. Wherever you're at, you could be a five-hour marathon or six-hour, and somebody at that level that's listening to the show right now, and I hope yeah. that they're going to draw inspiration from the people that are going to sit with me and have these chats, yeah. I hope they'll realize I could make Boston one day. I could qualify. Yeah. It's actually possible yeah. because it's about learning what it takes to make that journey actually occur. Yeah. What lifestyle changes can you make? Yeah. Can you work on your diet a little? Can you hire a personal tra trainer and work on your strength? Yeah. 
Can you join a really good running group that's positive and supportive of you and helps you get out the door to do the runs? Like what changes in your own lifestyle can you make that aren't going to impact your life in a negative way? You've got a young family. Yeah. You travel a lot for your job. Yeah. I mean, what I'm amazed at is how many people I know that are surgeons and CEOs and high-powered executives, and they're still able to get yeah. this stuff done. Yeah. Because when you strip it all away, if you want something bad enough, you okay. will figure it out. If you work 14-hour shifts in the hospital, you'll run on your lunch hour like Roberta Groner, yeah. and you'll run a 2.30 marathon you know, yesterday, just how long after running Doha and coming sixth in the world championships with three children and a full-time job as a nurse, it's just awe-inspiring stuff. So there's people out there, if you're just paying attention, that are doing some remarkable things. And if you set your mind to your goal, and again, it's your goal, it's not someone else's goal. What that goal is for today, I'm gonna exercise four times a week. I wanna lose a few pounds, I wanna get stronger, I wanna feel more confident in myself. And if you set out on that journey and you own it, good things are gonna happen. Yeah, for sure. And in your case, you know, and I shared with you, you know, you've come so close now in the last two marathons. With Berlin, it was three hours and how many seconds? One minute and seven seconds. One minute and seven seconds. So 301 and seven seconds. Yeah. And now yesterday, three hours and 30? 19 seconds. 19 seconds. So it's so close. Yeah. And what I have the experience of, because I've been doing this so much longer than you, is knowing with certainty, like a crystal ball's in front of me, that you're not only going to do it, but you're, you're going to smash it. And I even said to you in a text and before, just chatting before you came on, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you ran 254 in the next one, maybe even like a 248. It seems crazy, but these repetitive cycles of building and getting stronger and learning more about nutrition and fueling, it just continues to build. And at some point, the body kind of catches up with all of this work you're doing yeah. and you catch the right day yeah. and you catch the right group, right? I mean, talk to me about yesterday versus Berlin. Like in terms of the start of the race, as you rolled through, were you working with groups of people? Like how did, how did it play out for you? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely body. You talked about the body takes a while to kind of get used to it in the mind, but we talked about that as well. So I think both work concurrently. Um, but how was Berlin different to, to, to uh, yesterday? Um, funny enough, actually, Manchester was probably the last cycle that I probably had like real anxiety before the race. A lot of people talk about not being able to sleep and that kind of thing. And I've been working with like a mind coach guy called Duncan um, Duncan Foster. Um, and I'll put, I'll put his link on uh, a little bit later. Yes. Um, and he's been helping me just work on believing myself more as little subtle little things really um, and just being more mindful of what's happening in my training being more mindful um, what's happening in my training runs and the races and those little things day in day out plus the physical side which, which I would say actually gives you the majority of strength um, really does add up um, I mean what's the main differences between Berlin and today I mean and sorry and yesterday and in New York I mean I felt really confident for both going into it um, I, you know because the training was difficult and I really saw the race as something to enjoy so for both of them so I was really excited I was never cocky because the marathon is always a challenging thing but I, I was thinking there's really nothing to fear what's the worst and I had so many people saying oh you know New York and the hills and this kind of stuff I was like I know it's a challenging course this is the first time I've run it and each time I've actually given the, the, the undulations less respect that's not the right word but I mean less fear um, 
it's been better for me. The more fear I give it, the harder it's been. Um, I remember when I did it the first time, and you know, I was like, oh my gosh, that's hills or whatever. Then I was like, no, it's ridiculous. The second time, I was like, it wasn't as bad. It was still tough, don't get me wrong. Um, but that, that's the kind of the, the mind thing. But um, going back into uh, physically, um, going to Berlin, I had that, the health sort of concerns, so that really had a big impact to my training uh, a couple of weeks out. So therefore, I wasn't hitting my training uh, paces. Therefore, my coach had to scale back my, my, my targets so I wasn't hitting them. And the ego part of you wants to be like, look, give me more work, but then you know practically you can't live with that, those paces. So you just can be, there's no point having a really bad workout. Um, so once that kind of passed, I was really kind of, it was, it was a bit too late, and, but I was still kind of hitting the paces that I needed to. And it was just more about just getting to Berlin, getting experience. On paper, I probably should have done like, probably 3.15. I remember doing some train runs and I was, so to run a, just under, so three, you probably need to run just under 6.50 pace, like 6.40 something. Um, and I was struggling to, remember some runs were struggling to do 6.50. I'm like, this is just not normal. I just couldn't, I couldn't get myself out there. Um, so once I got through that, that sort of health sort of concern, and I got back into training, everything was sort of feeling good, but it was almost a little, too little too late. But because I'd been doing the uh, mind work with uh, Duncan, I was really feeling really confident in terms of like daily affirmations, visualization, um, just being mindful of what was happening in training, and that really helped. So I got into Berlin and I was thinking, okay, just um, I had a plan of like how I was going to attack each, each section of the race. And I'd have a mantra going in my head. Mainly it was more about being disciplined and just believing yourself being strong. And I remember just at certain points in the race, I'd be like, I'm strong, I'm enabled, I'm fast. It might not have been true, but that's what I needed to tell myself. And by me saying that, I was overriding the, the part of your brain that goes, oh my gosh, this really hurts. Because I've been in that place. Remember I did London 455. I, I know what it's like to be mentally broken. You think, I can't do this. Because it happens to everyone. You get physically tired and the mental part just kicks your butt. And you're just it like, piles oh on. Yeah. You know, like, I can't do this. I remember seeing my wife at... Uh, uh, canary Wharf and that sort of part and so saying I can't do this just like no you need to get your butt and just move <laughs> and literally that I mean I really wanted to quit so many times in that so I love the I tough love I know it's like to, to want to quit and that mental toughness has, has been developed just just through repeatedly failing forward and failing forward and failing forward so when I get to Berlin I mean I was having those mantras in my head just to kind of keep uh, pushing um, the good thing about Berlin was I ran a disciplined race so I'm, I'm happy with that I was close to my target, um, and the only uh, regret that I had maybe was that maybe I was a bit too disciplined and I didn't roll the dice a little bit more. But in hindsight, that's a good thing because you don't want to push too hard and blow up. Um, whereas New York, I was just like, look, I'm just going to try and give this the, the beans. And uh, and I was on pace until I think mile 20, um, and yeah, just, it was just really tough towards the end. But I don't regret it. I mean, I, I enjoyed the race. Um, you know, I tried my best, and I'd rather know that I tried and gave it my all rather than leaving and thinking, "Oh, I could have done this. Or I could have done that." On this course, you know, New York is probably like five minutes on top of, say, on top of a Berlin. So, mm. in my head, I know that you know, if I was running Berlin yesterday, it would have definitely been a tough three. Yeah. So I know it's in me. So now the monkey's off my back, even though it's still getting closer but I know it's in touching distance 
19 seconds is, is not a million miles away. It's like when Kachobi did his, I'm not comparing myself to Kachobi, but also sure. he did his first breaking two, he was so close. And then he, the, the second race was like a formality because he knew that he wasn't touching distance. Um, so in terms of um, physical preparation, it was kind of not really much sort of change really, of just getting that consistency, um, which I've been building up over time with my coach. Uh, and the mental side really, which is kind of switched from uh, Berlin to, to 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 New York again, sort of having the daily affirmations. And the good thing about running New York is because I've run it since my third time. It didn't really need to sort of do any drawing or like visualization because I knew it. I remember speaking to my speaking to Duncan about it, and he's saying, "Let's walk me through the course." And I was like, "When you come off this bit, you," and I was like, "Don't you sort of face FaceTiming?" But I was like doing the turn, yeah. didn't like moving my body. It's like. Uh, you exactly ready because you like you know the course. Um, there's always something you would learn. There's always like some new bit you find. And you're like, oh, I didn't realize that was there. But <laughs> but because but you but you but I but I know the course um, fairly well. But you know that's what really helps me uh, to have that confidence really to attack it. Whereas if it was a different course, it might it might be slightly different. Yeah, well, I think the mantra mantras are key, um, and I'm surprised more runners really aren't diving into that. Um, you have your man Duncan on for the mental coach. And as you said, we'll put it in the show notes so people can link to his page and his information. I've never used a, a mental coach myself, but I, I think it's wonderful. There's a lot of elite runners and non-elite runners who have a life, you know, a life coach or, you know, a time coach, someone who's just helping them manage their life better. Business executives have been using them for years just for how to focus on the big picture areas of life, whether it's their family, the board, um, the constituencies they deal with in their lives, um, and how to be the most efficient. So for me, stay in the fight, other ones work for me. Uh, Their mantras have to be personal. You got to believe in them. So you can't use David Goggins or Kipchoge or somebody else. They got to touch something within you. And if you use them in different parts of the race, it's great. They're just kind of guideposts for when things get difficult. Because the mind, when the mind unravels, the race is over. You might as well get wheeled off there, you know, by the medical staff and just like mail it in because the mind, when the mind cracks, it's almost impossible to recover. You can have a tough stretch. And I think that's the beauty of having the mental strategy and preparing. I think people go into these races, whether it's London or, you know, an Olympic trials effort, and they're preparing for a perfect day. And the problem is there is no such thing as a perfect day in the marathon. Um, one of my favorite writers and also amazing runners is Peter Bromka. Um, his story is compelling. His writing moves me uh, emotionally. Some of his great pieces are the marathon, owes you nothing, yeah. burn the boat, which you can kind of figure out burn the boat is just like, you know, leave it all out there, just literally yeah. go for it. But I think the marathon owes you nothing is the one that just is so compelling to me and sticks with me. People train so hard. They're getting up at 4.30. They're yeah. having people watch their kids or their dogs, and they're making all these incredible sacrifices. And somehow there's this feeling like I'm now entitled to have a perfect weather day, yeah. and the conditions go right for me, or, or I'm going to run around people that are close to my pace to make the day go easier. And I think that's, that's where you're, you're really skewing like what needs to get done. Because in the end of the day, you have to prepare for things to go wrong. You have to prepare for gels to fall out of your packet. Or in my case in Chicago, I went stayed in the Balbo um, 
hospitality tent and I'm like rushing through the scanning lines and I didn't want my belt on with all my gels around me while they're like doing the wand wave on you. So it was in the bottom of my bag and I looked at my watch and I'm like, well, I got to run a good 10 minutes to get over from where they was to the A Corral for Chicago. And I spaced and my gel belt was in the bottom of my bag. I get to the starting line. I had a handheld Morton with a little bit left that I'd been drinking before the race. And I realized, oh my God, it's a beautiful day. And guess what? I have absolutely no gels. And I knew in Chicago, because every race is different, their, their first gel station, I think, is at 17 or 18. So I knew that. And there's two ways you can go with that. You can be like, oh my God, my race is over. What am I going to do? Or I literally you know, just tried to look at myself and just laugh. Like, I am an idiot. What have I done? I butchered you know, all of my own plans. I you know, caused myself to be in this posi position. I just said, no, it's not gonna mess with my race. I'm gonna be okay. I used to drink Gatorade and water when I was in my 30s before gels were invented and I made it through plenty of races. So I try to counsel people all the time. It's never going to go according to plan. And when that happens, if your mind is strong and you hit a rough patch at 14 and you've been on pace for exactly what you want, instead of saying, okay, I can give myself permission to go off the rails. I can allow myself to give up here. No, you can, you can dial it back for a mile or maybe a half mile and just say, maybe the stitch will clear. Yeah. You know, maybe pace will get better. Or in a case like New York, those bridges really aren't all that much fun, are they? Yeah. I mean, Queensboro Bridge, the Pulaski Bridge. I mean, do they ever end? You just kind of keep going and it's like, huh? You know. We haven't spoken about the Manchester Marathon either, to be honest. That was a tough one, to be honest. I haven't really given an indication for that. So um, that was my first uh, marathon this year. And we're talking about things going wrong. <laughs> so uh, it's the week before and I was just like, no, the training has gone perfect. So I, it just couldn't have gone any better. And the night before I had uh, risotto and chicken meal and something did not agree with me so I went back to my hotel room and I was just, just ill um, so all the carb loading just left and I was just like what am I going to do oh. so I was thinking okay what, what, what's the best next step okay what can I do now just drink lots of water clear your system out and then you wake up in the morning if you can hold your breakfast down then you're okay to run if you can't then call it off so I woke up in the morning had my breakfast I was like okay I feel, I feel okay um, and then I went to run it, um, and up to mile 20, and I felt good. But then the residual uh, feelings of the sickness kicked in. And I remember mile, literally after 20, like my stomach just went, uh -uh. like, this is not happening. <laughs> no, uh, no. They're more like you're going to throw up type thing. And I just remember the um, sub uh, three paces going off. And I remember it took me flashback to Berlin when I fought on the break uh, four originally. Um, and that broke me, and I was thinking, this is not happening again. You put too much time and effort into it. So I just want to show people that actually, you know, sometimes you can get broke, broken, but then those experiences actually can make you a lot stronger. So I just thought, well, what's the best thing I can do right now? If I, <laughs> it's, so, it's so, so ridiculous, like how you convince yourself to run. It's like, sick. <laughs> Most normal people are like, okay, let's just call it out. I'm like, no, I must get to the finish line. What's the best way I could get there without dying? It's like, what's the worst? You're not going to die, sort of thing. Um, so I was like, okay, just keep going, just slow down a little bit, you'll be fine. So I slowed my pace down, and I was like, okay, judge it by the next quarter mile, quarter mile will be fine. And I kind of pushed through and I got better. I was like, okay, fine. And I got the last mile, and I think the last point two mile, and I went, 
okay, took the sort of took the brakes off and went fine, I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna get this this up so through. I think I did three or five. And it was really tough and I just went straight down there and I remember sort of passing people and then my stomach went, uh oh <laughs> slow down and I remember like people passing me and then me feeling like really gonna be ill and then I started throwing up and got people going around you. It was a really weird situation because you're being sick but you're not kind of sort of pushed over being crying about it. You're kind of like, I must get to the fish line, <laughs> get my medal, that thing. So that was a really sort of surreal sort of thing. So it's just to touch upon what we were talking about before, that, that things do go wrong um, during the race, pre-race, and how do you deal with it? Um, and having that sort of experience and even running Boston 2018, it's kind of skewed my mind a little bit to like, What's the worst that could happen? Oh, if something does bad really happen, like what's the best thing I could do next? I was thinking that what's the best thing I could do next? Um, and things like I say always go wrong in the races. I remember even running yesterday, it was going really well after mile twenty, um, and I had myself my strategy going quite well. Um, but things happen, you know. Sometimes you you get, you get asked a question. And you can answer it. Sometimes you you can't. You just sort of come back and think about how you're going to do it better next time. Um, and that's probably the beauty of the marathon experience. And rather than trying to run away from it, I found actually the beauty is in actually facing it and then just tackling it again. And just it just it, it just makes you that much stronger, that much more resilient each time. Oh, no doubt. So let's dig in on a couple of those points. First, did you hit anybody throwing up? <laughs> Uh, Hopefully no, not. No, so uh, fortunately I was uh, kind of like stoop, stooping, kind of walking, <laughs> walking. I've got a video on uh, my Instagram. Um, so we may need to, to link. That. We may need to link that to the show notes. The funny thing is, the photographer, the race line, the finish line, was just like stepping away. He's got like four or five shots of me. Just oh no! Going through it. So oh thanks, no! Thanks for that. I love and it. I've got that in there for my memory. Yeah, but these are these are these are our lessons. They're, that's how we get stronger. I mean, we learn so much uh, when we fail at something and we come up short. And I think the word fail is just, it's just the word that I personally really enjoy like delving into. Like people don't even want to say the word. It just has this horrible connotation and I just really don't understand why. Yeah. Like failing is okay. And it's how we learn. From when we're little and we're trying to learn how to walk, we fall down a whole lot more times than our kids are upright. And you know all about that right now. And the same thing with when our children are first being, we're teaching them to ride a bike and they're swaying and they got training wheels on and they want to take them off. We fall, we crash, we get up. I mean, this is, this is how we learn. And each of these experiences, that 305 at Manchester, they make you stronger. They steal you for the next time. Yeah. Berlin, you, if I were coaching you and I'm not, yeah. I would have told you to do it the way you did because now you just close that gap so much more, yeah. but maybe you didn't go all out caution throw caution to the wind and just just go crazy yeah. in the captain ahab fashion and say i i don't care if i burn or yeah. my hair goes on fire in my case i don't have any hair but um so you you held back maybe the littlest bit not much yeah. you were probably as close to your red line as you could be and run a great race yeah. and then you came out to new york 
which is a way harder course. Yeah. Anyone who's ever run here, and that includes the elite men and women. The history of New York is legendary, and you can compare its best times to any race, and it's significantly slower than London or Boston or any of the great marathons, even Tokyo or Chicago. It's, yeah. it's going to be in the last in terms of performance, and some of the greatest athletes in the world have raced here. Yeah. And where you talk about from 20 on, New York is just so brutal from that point. And it isn't so much that the course profile is that hard from there, it's just the bridges take their toll. Yeah. And even though this is my backyard and I run here all the time, you can't run on the Queensboro Bridge yeah. during the week. You can't run the Verrazano Bridge. And sure, it's in the first you know 20 feet of the race where you really start going straight uphill, but each one of those things and the concrete that we have to run on a lot, it all just kind of beats your legs up to a certain point Sure, the crowds are magic. There's nothing like the energy and intensity of being out there and feeling that just the joy. Um, that's we talked about before we came on here and, and you know turn the mics on. I mean, the joy that's out there in those boroughs and the different ethnic groups and the music and the gospel singers and the bands and the rap singers and the kids with the signs. It just you smile ear to ear, yeah. and the energy level is just, it's immeasurable, it's off the hook. I mean, it could power the city for six months. It's just such a feel-good day and event, and people share that with you. And if you make eye contact and smile, they'll just love you. If you, if you get them going and you yell something to them, they'll just go crazy, and they'll, yeah. they'll fuel you. But from that point on, you know, coming up, First Avenue, a lot of people die there because the crowds are, you know, it's like being in gladiator times and being in the arena. I mean, you come off of, you come around that bend there off the Queensboro Bridge and First Avenue, it's, it's like a wall of sound. It's deafening. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many friends of mine who dropped their fastest mile at 16, 17, and 18, and then, uh-oh, you know, somebody come and get the rescue squad to go get them. But where you're talking about, you know, getting out towards the Willis Bridge at, you know, 20 miles, you have two bridges left, you have that, and they have the Madison Avenue Bridge there. By that point, you're like, if somebody throws one more bridge on this course, I will. I'm going to come and get somebody, man. It's going to be, I will cut you, man. Don't put any more bridges on this course. And then when you think you're done and you've conquered the last two bridges, you got Fifth Avenue waiting for you to just literally punch you, hit you in the kidneys, hit you in the gut. And that, I mean, you had to be battling that. You know, tell me about that section for you yesterday. It was oh, it was a it was a dark place. That's all I can. Do. It was a very dark place. <laughs> I mean, everything is telling you to stop. Yes. My legs are burning, and it's just the conversation that is really. I just had to keep telling myself my mantras, and sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Like I'd say I'm faster than able. Sometimes that doesn't work. Then I'd be thinking, like for example, um, if my daughter was there. What would I tell her? She is, I, I imagine this situation, I'm running my door and she's saying, Dad, I'm struggling, what do you do? And I'm like, what would I say to her? And I'd have, have these sort of strange conversations like that, or I think of times where, um, you know, I've been training, I've been tired at home, and they had to go out and help at home, but you're tired, and it's like an impact on the family type thing. And, I'd, and I'm just sort of thinking, what would I say to my wife? You know, those sort of times, those times where you've really had to kind of put the hard yards in. Um, so it's a real battle between um, the physical pain and not forgetting how strong you were. But, I mean, it, it was just, 
yeah, you, you kind of at some point you're just like, will I catch a break? You, know, you, feel, <laughs> you feel you feel like you know it, but then he's like, there's another little hit dip and there's a little yeah. rise. You're just like, man, where are these? Where are they coming from? I know <laughs> it's it's so well said because uh, you know the people we all have our way of looking at a course or yeah. elevation profiles. And I've been telling people for years, like, you know what, if you look at Chicago's profile, it, it looks like it, there's actually hills in Chicago and you look at New York and it looks like there aren't any. Yeah. Don't trust an elevation profile. Like talk to people who've run the course, talk to people who have experience. Fifth Avenue, I will always tell people, in fact, I did a, a shakeout run on Saturday and I, we stood at the corner of Engineers Gate, which is 90th and 5th, and I asked them to just look back to look back down, you know, down in that direction. And I go, does this look like anything to you? And they're all like laughing at me going, oh, it looks fine. It's okay. Why? I go, you see this right here? From here to down there, which is just about a mile, a little less, yeah. it's going to be the hardest section of the course. I said, and I can tell you right now, it's going to be harder than the Queensboro Bridge, harder than the Pulaski Bridge, harder than any foot steps you take is going to be from there to here. I said, so just look at it and promise me that you're gonna take it seriously and you're gonna save just a little bit, even if it's saving it mentally, because how much can we save physically? We've already run 22 miles at that point. But I feel like if you've warned yourself, right? Because that's the power of the brain. Like I always tell myself, okay, because you have that flat section after you come to Madison Avenue Bridge where you can kind of regather yourself. And like, just for you again, when you tackle it the next time, I tell myself, this is what I'm getting ready for. Because I convinced myself, it's so funny, the mental tricks we play. Yeah. Every workout we've ever done in our life, I don't know anybody who doesn't do a two-mile warm-up and a two-mile cool-down. Those are kind of standards. It doesn't matter whether you're a runner who uses kilometers or miles. We, we pretty much all warm up two and yeah. cool-down two. And sometimes we do more if we're rounding off our mileage for a week or a day yeah. or if a friend wants us to keep going. Yeah. But for the most part, I tell myself the marathon is over when I get into the park. Because that's my park. This is where I run. Yeah. This is my team is Central Park Track Club. It's my team. And we have something called the Wall of Orange, which is just inside the park. Right as you enter at 90th and 5th, our runners are draped around that corner for probably about a block long on each side. Yeah. So they're on both sides of the park and they're framing it. And we had a bunch of runners on 5th Avenue this year. So I just tell myself, once I get into that park... Um, for anybody listening to this podcast or played video games, it's like a power up, man. I'm like, I'm home. I'm powered up. I saw all my people. They gave me the love. They gave me the high fives. And I, I try to give it back, man. I scream. I yell. I lose my mind. I lose my shit. But I feel like I always get more back when I get in the moment like that. Because from there, I'm sure you would agree, other than that last painful stretch trying to climb my tavern on the green, which again on a hill profile looks like nothing, except yesterday when you're trying to grind it in and you're how many seconds, 15 or 19? 19 you're 19 seconds away. I mean, if that section is all flat there, I'm not saying you make it, but maybe you're five seconds away. Maybe you're four seconds away. Although in the end, it really doesn't matter. You're so close. You're going to do this. You're going to get it done yeah. and it's going to be exciting. And But for me though, there's no regret because I, coming to New York, I was thinking this is the hardest course. Why not me? Why, why can I not get sub free here? Yeah. So I have like no regrets and to run the time I did, I'm just immensely proud and it's still a, a marathon pass on best for me. And so it's just it's, it's something, you know, I, I still, um, am proud of and, uh, have no regrets for. I mean, going back to your point actually, after mile 16, you go to like Fifth Avenue, 
the first year, I remember doing that. I made the biggest mistake. <laughs> I looked up, and you see how far you got to run. And it, it's like you say, the incline isn't doesn't look that bad if you're standing there, but it's just when you're running, it feels like Everest, and it's just far. <laughs> the second year, I was like, just keep your head up, but just don't look that far up. And that's what I basically kept this time. Was just literally keep my head up, but not too far up, so I can see. Yeah. Because that's that's the worst thing. Because if your brain can see what's going to happen, you're just going to go into that kind of oh, I'm literally just thinking where like foot, foot in front of the other, just my immediate kind of circle, and just trying to go from there. Um, and that's the sort of challenging part of New York because like once you're in Manhattan, for example, it's just like <laughs> you can see so far. It's like man, this is kind of crazy. Oh yeah, you. you so well said for maybe somebody listening to who hasn't run New York yet and is excited and wants to add it to their list. My, uh, my fun New York story, um, uh, the owner of my company, my uh, current company that I'm working for, it used to be sponsored by Manufacturers Hanover, which is now Chase today. And I think it was about seven or eight days before New York City. It was the year that Fred LeBeau, who had brain cancer, the, you know, the gentleman who put this all together and created the five borough race, ran with Greta Weitz um, the year he had brain cancer or brain tumor. And he says to me, I th- if it wasn't seven days, it was 10 days. Hey, I know you do triathlon and you're really fit. Do you think you could do a marathon? And I'm like, I don't know. How far is a marathon? I literally didn't know. He's like, it's 26 miles. I'm like, I- I'm not really sure. I don't know. He goes, well, if you want, I can get you a bid for the New York City Marathon. So with no training, no plan, I mean, doing triathlons at that point, Olympic distance, which are much shorter. So, you know, they're a little less than a mile swim and, you know, 25 mile bike and 10K run. So you're certainly fit and you're healthy, but I don't know that I'd run more than 10, 12 miles on a long run at that point. And you're certainly not going to have time to train seven to 10 days before. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And my first Avenue experience is I'm running up and I have to go to the bathroom because of course I have no idea what I'm supposed to eat yeah. in, in the, you know, before the corrals in the morning of the race. And I'm eating all kinds of things I shouldn't be. And of course I have to go to the bathroom. And on First Avenue, I'm thinking somewhere in the 90s, there's bathrooms over by the basketball courts. Yeah. It's over on the right-hand side. So every time I passed New York, yesterday was my ninth New York. I will always remember this moment. I had to go in there to go to the bathroom. And I sat down and I was okay when I sat down. I literally could not get up off the stall. My quads had completely seized. I had to push the sides of the stall and like pry myself out. And trust me, every fiber of my body was saying, what are you going back out there for? You don't know what you're doing. You have no business being out here. You are out of your, you know what mine. And I pried myself up. My quads were like hobbled. And I got back out there and it was like a run walk deal, but I finished, I think I was 339 because um, I'd gone out way too fast and I just had no business, you know, doing it in that manner. Yeah. But forevermore, I will see that point on the course and it's just like I give it a little salute off to the right. Like, hey, remember me? Yeah. Remember me when I came by here for the first time? But I mean, that for me was just such an amazing uh, first experience because I mean, with Fred and Greta and Greta, I don't even know how many York she she won. I mean, she was just such an amazing runner and so inspiring. And I think some of the things people don't know about Greta is a lot of the charitable things New York Roadrunners is doing for kids and children were started by Greta with Fred very, very back in the day um, and just have blossomed and grown. And she was an amazing human. So that's uh, that's my first Avenue story. (laughs) 
Yeah, good stuff. So on your health, everything is good now, right? Uh, yeah, on, on the whole, I've still got a couple of um, tests to do, but um, I've got the, the kind of the main all clears, which is, which is good. Um, and the challenging thing as well, I think the reason why it was hit me so hard was because when you're, it's not just you involved, it's your family. Um, when you're sort of solo, it's fine, but when you've got kids, you start thinking longer term, like your mortality, and that kind of really got into my mind a little bit. So once I got, I got the all clear. I was just yeah, it was good, but it kind of showed me that you just can't take anything for granted. You could think of fit as a fit on, do whatever, but nothing's ever ever guaranteed. So that's why um, when I sort of came to New York, I was just like, look. This is your third New York, you should enjoy it. And one of the issues that I had with Berlin was that I was so focused, I think, at the time in the South 3, that I didn't really enjoy the process. Even though I got a PB at the time, which I've beaten, it was just more about the running. And once, do you know what I mean, it just kind of sucked the, the joy out of it. And I had to remind myself of just like the energy from the five boroughs. And even though I'm from London, and London Marathon is an amazing marathon, probably, probably my second favourite, this is not my favourite marathon. Of, of the six majors because the energy is incredible and I just remind myself like I'm healthy and I get to run here I mean it's an amazing experience it's hard the course is hard but tell any, if you ask any of the runners that have completed it what the crowd are like and how they help you get through it it's just uh, it's just another level it really is I think it's um, that's the beauty of New York it touches everyone. Um, the running community, the running clubs, it's a tradition over, I'm trying to think, maybe it's about five or six years ago it started where the club teams will go out to the finish line um, and try to time up when the last finishers will come in and be there when uh, my good friend Peter Chacha, the former race director, was there. And we'd all be out there at the finish line and just, you know, flashlights, yeah. uh, just cheering and clapping for those final runners coming in. And just think about how special that must feel for them because they're figuring, hey, n nobody's going to be around, nobody's going to be left, but I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I mean, how inspiring is that? You know, yeah. they're out there alone. The course is long shut down from any other perspective, right? The aid stations, all that's going on. And, they're still out there forging on. Some of them walking, some of them handicapped, um, all sorts of things. And it's a nice touch that you do in New York here. Any other majors? I'm I'm not aware of it being done anywhere else. And um, I know there were issues this year, specifically at Berlin, with the gate closing. And um, it's normal. Tokyo has um, very strict time sweeps, and they all this information is all published and shared. So it isn't that the running community doesn't know of it. And any runner should always hey take the time to learn what those rules are. Because yeah. before you fly all the way over to Tokyo and spend a really significant amount of money to go over there and maybe yeah. try to make it part of your six-star journey, if you know this is going to be an issue for you, you know, don't be surprised you know, yeah. when it happens because that's just the way they handle it. I think it would be wonderful if all the races could be open and allow like what New York does, but that's, there's so much to deal with in terms of logistics between the cities and the towns and the police and the fire department and sanitation and all the different municipalities that have to come together. And we're talking about London, Tokyo, New York. These are massive um, endeavors um, for the community. And they do really such a remarkable job, yeah. you know, pulling it all together. Yeah, they do. And I remember, so you talked about Peter before, when I first did my first New York 2016, 
I remember him saying, you know, this is like going to be the biggest like a block party. It's going to be like a high experience. I was like, really? Murphy, it was always just going to be painful. But he did, he did, he didn't disappoint him, and he was he was so right. I mean, the crowds, the energy, um, the, the photo. It took me, it was just amazing. That's why I got my photo taken. I think uh, it was in the Bronx, I think. And people always ask me when they see that photo, when I was like, across, like, were you at the finishing line? I was like, no. no. I was in the Bronx. I still had a long way to go. Yes. Yes. Like 10K to go, whatever. So, but it just, that photo really sort of captures like how I felt up to that point because even though I was tired and really struggling, like, the end was incredible. Um, and I just tried to remember that when I came back to this time post Berlin no it's good to have your, your targets and go for it but you know you have to enjoy it otherwise you know it's going to be very difficult to sort of get yourself up to train and, and want to race um, yeah but no but no Pete was is spot on and uh, you know it was it's always been the same ever since I've been here it's been a massive block party it's just been an incredible celebration from like mile like zero to mile yeah two. i mean it literally starts once you cross the verrazano because we're all we're all to ourselves but a couple of things there um yeah you have to i i tell people mainline the crowds like tap into them um but you can't go too crazy either because it is a marathon so yeah. sure you can high five kids and, and can make eye contact and you're going to have all the different groups that are out there cheering your name and it's wonderful because at some point you got to conserve energy too, right? Yeah. You can't you can't put too much into it that early in the race because then when you do get to that back end, man, it's going to be like, ooh, yeah. maybe I shouldn't have gone so crazy in some of those points earlier. Um, but I think it was also neat. Um, they do such a wonderful job. All the all the big races do, but in the marketing side, it had to feel pretty cool for you that you know you go into the Javits Center and there's the old poster over there, and you're you're in the marketing campaign and the shots, and there it will inspire you, it will move you. I just think it's a wonderful campaign. It's just so awesome. But there you are, man. You're you're in the Javits Center. It's my boy, the Marathon Marcus, man. It's incredible. And like this massive poster of me, I think it was a mile eight or nine. Yeah. Go around the corner. It's like, yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's a, that adds the extra special feeling as well. But the funny thing is like when I took a photo of myself from my Instagram underneath it, people are looking at the post. <laughs> they're like, that's not the same dude. <laughs> and the worst thing is then you try and convince people it is you and they're like, nah, it's definitely not you. <laughs> That's great. There, but, and the, but every time you come here, like, it's, it's such an amazing, I'm so lucky, grateful to have it. I mean, that photo was taken in 2016, and I come back 2019, I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. So, um, but in a good way. And it's such a beautiful thing. And, uh, and Peter's going to be on my show soon. We're uh, honoring him at uh, my club team, Central Park Track Club, our big fundraiser and benefit. Uh, Tatiana McFadden's going to speak, and we're going to honor Peter for his incredible contributions to the running community. And um, just he was, he's special to everybody that's ever run this race, um, as were the previous uh, race directors before that, that have had an impact. So before we go out... Because yeah, Mary before did an amazing job. Oh, as well. Mary Wittenberg was amazing. Yeah. Alan Steinfeld. I mean, there there's some, and Fred LeBeau yeah. was the first. So those are those are big shoes, and um, yeah, he he just had a huge impact yeah. and touched a lot of people. Yeah. His personality was really infectious, and he had a lot of joy for what he was doing, and that, that yeah. clearly came through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what's next for you before we go out? I mean, we I know what your goals are and all, but. Anything just uh, off the top here before we 
before we roll out? I'm going to enjoy having a couple of weeks off, uh, not running. Um, but next year, the target is to run probably ideally two marathons, fast, flat marathons, um, and uh, try and get that sub three. Not try, but we'll get that sub three. We'll get the sub three. Um, so Manchester, I've got um, booked in 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 the UK, and that's the start of April. So it's tends to be perfect weather, um, not too hot um, and cool. And maybe looking at maybe Valencia, maybe towards the end of the, end of the year. I hear good uh, things. Yeah, that, that's a great course there. But um, you never know sometimes. You never know. I mean, if, if you get a place, get a place for Berlin or some other, then, you know, you've got to take it. So at the minute, it's just uh, Manchester is, is my race that's been booked. But uh, it's, I've got some, I'll look at something towards the end of the year. Good stuff. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate having our chance to chat. I was looking forward to this. Um, you're doing a lot of really positive stuff in the community. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Uh, inspire a lot of people, but keep sharing. I mean, keep sharing, keep being authentic, keep being who you are, and you're going to reach more people. And that's wonderful because you're helping people realize, hey, I might be able to do this, or hey, I can do this, or, or I should try to do this. Because where you've started from to where you are now is it's pretty awesome, but I know you you got a lot more to go in your journey. Yeah, I think that's, that's the main thing I want people to realize that they might look at my times now or whatever, and I'm not saying I've made it by any stretch of imagination, but I just want people to know that you can be a runner and feel like you're not that great and keep working and actually surprise yourself. It's funny when people say, you're such an amazing runner, but I remember the guy that was, you know, people saying you're not a proper runner, you can't run this or whatever. Um, I just want people to, that's why I have a lot of empathy for people in the same situation. I, I think that's why I try and help more. I was thinking of myself in that, in that sort of situation. But um, yeah, th thank you for having me on. And um, it's just been great to chat with you and uh, actually finally sit down and actually have a proper chat. Because we've had lots of chats in different races and it's, it's so funny across the world. But now to sort of sit down and overlook Central Park, it's such an amazing backdrop. Yeah, it's been fun. Well, I really appreciate you being here and uh, safe travels home. Love, kisses and hugs to the family. And uh, I know we'll catch up soon. Take care. Wow, that was fun. Thank you for sharing your inspiring story with us, Marathon Marcus. It was really fun getting to know you better. My only regret is we didn't have more time to cover off on some of the topics we planned to. So I wanted to assure you and the audience that will make time to do that in the near future. Isn't it amazing how one small change in our lives can yield such a profound result? Marcus started his Instagram page to hold himself more accountable to his running. And look where that has led him today. To start off running a four-hour and 55-minute marathoner to finishing New York City in three hours flat, cutting off nearly two full hours along the way. It's truly remarkable stuff. Marcus set big goals, is willing to work really hard, and it's definitely paying off for him. The fun part is he's nowhere near finished yet. He's got a long ways to go, and I'm really excited to see where he's going to end up and what sort of times he's gonna crank out in 2020, 2021, 2022. Big things are in store for my friend Marcus. If you enjoyed listening to his story and felt inspired in any way and would share it with a fellow runner, 
It might help somebody who's stuck at a time plateau, maybe in a rut psychologically, just not feeling it right now, or maybe even with a friend who was a former runner and just hasn't been out there with us on the roads or trails. Hearing a story like this might be just the thing to ignite the fire and get somebody inspired and get them moving. So it would mean a lot to me if you'd share it with fellow runners or if you take a moment to rate it or review it wherever you get your podcast groove on. It could really help new listeners find the show and it would mean the world to me. I'll definitely put links up on the show notes as to Marcus's page on Instagram, his blog, his performance mindset coach, Duncan, and any other relevant information we covered on the show. Because anybody who's already not following Marcus, please get over there and do it. I mean, he has such a positive influence on the running community, and I think you'll be really happy that you did if you're not already doing so. And I think that's about it from me, other than to thank my producer, Dave, from InPost Media for just doing a tremendous job with this audio. Man, it was really tough when he got his hands on it, and I think he did a terrific job. So thanks, Dave, for that. And thank you all for listening. And just remember, all of you, to stay in the fight. Peace out.